down, 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 Music. It has the power to move us, doesn't it? You're driving in your car, and the song that I just butchered comes on. You push the pedal just a little harder. And before you know it, you're well over the speed limit. Is it your fault? No way. It was the music, man. Welcome to the Almost Enlightened Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Morin, and today's episode, in case you didn't notice, is on music. Ask anyone, and they'll tell you that music moves them. In fact, I once had a high school principal address the graduating class and explain to us how music has the ability to change our emotions quicker than anything he could recall. That always stuck with me, perhaps because I totally agree. I'm a musician. Well, I have been a musician. That's to say that I grew up with music playing a massive role in my life. From singing and piano lessons, to performing in operas and musicals, to learning more instruments, playing in bands, writing music, and also just listening to it, I guess you could say that music is part of my soul, which is why I'm enamored with today's topic and can't wait to steer the subject in all kinds of interesting directions. So let's start at the beginning and attempt to examine some pretty interesting questions about music, like where it may have originated, what effect it has on us how we appreciate it, and whether or not it's a gateway to the divine. Nobody knows the origin of music since there's evidence of its existence prior to recorded history. Archaeological remains of bone flutes and wooden pipes date back as far as 35,000 years. Native Americans and Australian Aboriginals had and have a rich history of music, of which only fragments of that history are known. But it's kind of fun to muse about the origins of music, isn't it? Could music simply be the evolution of the emulation of sounds that have always been present in nature, like the howling wind through the trees, or the chirping of the birds? Or could it be remnants of the rhythm of walking feet, the sweet cooing sounds of a baby, or a mother's soothing vocal tones? Wherever it came from, it's something that seems to have been around since time immemorial. I was recently reading an article in National Geographic that featured the thoughts of renowned soundscape ecologist Bernie Krause. The thesis of the article revolved around what I'll call the muffling or the muzzling of the world's natural soundscape. And not to detract from the thesis, because I think the article is bang on in its examination of the negative effects we humans are having on nature's voice, but... One thing that really stood out to me was a comment Krauss made about hearing the sum total of the sounds that nature makes in any particular area. He said, There are acoustic and temporal niches, just like instruments in an orchestra, where each writer establishes its own bandwidth or time to sing so that its voice won't be impeded by others. Wow, that is a wild observation. To me, it means that nature's sounds, performed by the animals, the insects, and the natural elements, has order, much like a symphony. 
So could it be that nature itself was and is the ultimate inspiration for man-made music? Whatever its root, music has played a pivotal role in the evolution of humanity, featuring prominently in religion, such can be found in the Hindu tradition of the Vedas, and equally as prominently in the arts, such as in ancient Grecian theater. In fact, the oldest known song, dating back some 3,400 years, was discovered and deciphered from cuneiform writing on an epitaph in Syria. But regardless of its origin and its rich history, music just seems to have always been around. Without going too deeply into music theory, let's begin our discussion of today's topic by looking at the relationship between music and human beings. It goes without saying that music doesn't exist without the ability of humans to create it and to consume it, even if only for ourselves. Consequently, I believe that music is so fundamental to humanity that an understanding and an appreciation for it might possibly be unknowingly inherent in every human being. And I say this because it's also my contention that music may well have evolved from a survival mechanism to how we characterize it today. Moreover, I'll argue that to this day, music continues to be necessary for our survival and our well-being. Now, I know there's a ton to digest there, so let's unpack those thoughts. Let's suppose that you lived in prehistoric times and you wanted to communicate with someone from a great distance. Well, the best way to do that vocally would be to use one's voice to project high decibels of sound. You might even argue that changing pitch would make your vocal message easier to hear and easier to recognize. On top of that, it's conceivable that pitch variations could constitute meaning. In other words, da-da-da versus da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da could mean two completely different things, as in dinner's ready versus that lion is about to eat you. Now, along the way, you might even come up with the realization that there are mechanical means that could help you amplify your message. As I mentioned earlier, bone flutes, flutes that are made out of animal bone and carved with finger holes for different pitches, could be used to create a unique and distinguishable sound that serves as a means of communication. This means of communication would or could have been essential in conveying life-preserving messages such as warnings, geographical whereabouts, and or arrival information. Hopefully you can see how I'm making the connection between music and survival during prehistoric times. Now, I don't know about you, but I often get a song stuck in my head for days at a time. Right this minute, I've got Chris Stapleton's Tennessee Whiskey playing on repeat in my head. And it's been there for almost a week now. The important point I'm making is that the tonal intervals used to communicate messages across great distances may well have had the same enduring effect as the song you've got in your head right now. For example, imagine I'm living in prehistoric times and I'm walking through the forest. All of a sudden, I hear the dinner's ready chant, da-da-da, and it makes me feel awesome. I might even begin chanting it to myself. I mean, why wouldn't I if I was excited for dinner? Da-da-da. I might even be so excited that I start to elaborate on it. Da-da-da. Da-da-da. Can you see how a simple interval can turn into an entire musical composition? 
I mean, why would we ever doubt the playfulness, the imagination, and the ability of humans to create? To create anything. In this case, to create music. Can you see it? Actually, can you hear it? Can you hear how music may have evolved? And this brings up another really interesting point. Just as I was excited to hear and to sing the dinner's ready chant, ha ha ha, the sound of music is well known to create profound emotional responses in us humans. I have two concerts that immediately spring to mind when someone asks me, what's the best concert you've ever been to? Well, one of them was a concert that happened at the very top of Whistler Mountain in British Columbia when I was going to university out there. A band by the name of Widemouth Mason, whom I'd never heard of before, was playing. It was a sunny spring afternoon, and I was snowboarding by myself. When I accidentally stumbled into the free concert, I was taken in and blown away by the band's musicality. The breathtaking views, the gorgeous weather, and the shared emotion of the crowd that was undeniably perceptible to me. It was such a euphoric moment in my life that I had to buy the band's latest CD when I got back to town. Now, I listened to that CD every day for months, the sounds evoking memories and emotions of that concert. The point being that not only did I fall in love with the band's music at the time, but I had attached emotion to it, which forever accompanies my relationship to Widemouth Mason's music in much the same way that our prehistoric dinner chant, ha ha ha, would have made me happy, excited, and hungry. According to neuroscientist Valerie Salimpour from McGill University, when music listeners are hooked up to an fMRI machine, the release of dopamine in the nucleus accumbens can be observed. You'll remember from a previous episode that dopamine is a type of neurotransmitter that plays a significant role in how we feel pleasure. Dopamine helps us to think and to plan. It also helps us to focus and heightens our curiosity. Coincidentally, it's also released when we experience biological rewards, such as sex or eating. Are you getting the point? We're biologically connected to music, hence why I believe that a sense of musicality, or at the very least an appetite for music, is hardwired into our very brains. Earlier, I made the potentially controversial statement that music is essential to our survival and our well-being. If you asked my teenage kids if this statement is true, well, first they'd have to turn down their music to even hear the question. And then they'd emphatically tell you that they would die if there was no music. I rest my case. Actually, I'll make a bit more of a compelling case. I think that the ubiquitousness of music across nearly every society and every culture on the planet is taken for granted. Music is such a part of our lives that, like the sun, we sometimes forget that it's there. And like the ancient Greeks taught us, music, according to Pythagoras, is delegated to the same mathematical laws of harmony as the mechanics of the cosmos. You might even say that to study the cosmos is to observe the relationship between celestial objects that are outside of our being, while the study of music allows us to observe and to feel the relationship of pitch. Intervals, rhythm, and harmony from within our being. Moreover, music encourages us to connect mind, body, and heart in a way that often allows us to make sense of our emotions or to create balance within. 
Let me give you an example. As a youngster, I took piano lessons for several years. One of the songs I had often played that resonated in our household was Benny King's Stand By Me. The foundational bass line sets the tone for the song as it drives the bus from start to finish. The vocal melody perfectly complements the bass line as it follows the classic 1-6-4-5 chord progression, and the beautiful string arrangement is predicated on the ever-steady bass line. And we haven't even begun to discuss the lyrics yet. If the sky that we look upon should tumble and fall, or the mountain should crumble to the sea, I won't cry, I won't cry. No, I won't shed a tear. Just as long as you stand, stand by me. Wow, that song. That song. That song allowed a 21-year-old me to make sense of my father's passing in a way that words just can't. When laughter failed to make any sense, when I didn't think I'd ever be normal again, that song brought calmness, clarity, and meaning to my life again. And it still does. It somehow managed to fix me. So when I say that music is essential to our well-being and possibly even to our survival, I need only think of that song to support the theory. Have you ever noticed that music accompanies nearly every event you can imagine? From marriages to funerals, sports games, military parades, music is omnipresent and serves to charge our emotions. Have you ever cried during the national anthem? Yeah, me too. It seems to me that when we enjoy music socially, it serves us in a variety of really interesting ways. For instance, the great composer Igor Stravinsky said the following in his Harvard lectures. The profound meaning of music and its essential aim is to provide a communion, a union of man with his fellow man and with the supreme being. Now, we won't go into the supreme being part just yet, but when we engage in the creation of the making of music with others, it forces us not only to work in harmony, but to share feeling, dynamics, rhythm, and intent together. As we move through the music together, we're essentially sharing our emotions to the extent that they become homogenized. For the duration of a song, or even an entire performance, the band is one. And the same can be applied to audience members at a concert. According to Stefan Kolsch in his review Brain Correlates of Music Evoked Emotions, Children as young as two and a half years old synchronize more accurately to an external drum beat in a social situation than in non-social situations. So simply put, this means that young children are more apt to synchronize their beat to that of another human over an ability to do it, say, to a drum machine. Now this emphasizes Stravinsky's point that music promotes the union of human to human. Kolsch goes on to say that synchronization of movements while playing a beat increases trust and cooperative behavior in both adults and children. Finally, one of the inferences is that synchronizing beats actually gives rise to a feeling of group identity. Is it any wonder that every single military parade I have ever seen on TV is accompanied by music? 
If I were a leader, I'd certainly want to cultivate a feeling of pride, of solidarity, and of belonging amongst my military folk. And maybe that's the whole idea behind a national anthem. All right, stick with me on this next one as I develop a thought, knowing that I may not always get it quite right, or right at all, but I do enjoy coming up with theories and hypotheses that are based on some learning, some intuition, and perhaps some logic. So let's try this one out. As a person who is very fortunate to have traveled extensively over my lifetime, I can say that I've enjoyed music across many continents. Before sitting down to do some research on this topic that we're talking about today, I began, as I always do, by asking questions. And one of the questions I wrote down in my little notebook was, what happens when we listen to music that's foreign to us? Does it move us to the same extent as our own cultural music does? So let's attempt to answer that question by evaluating an effort to communicate in a location in which the language is foreign to us. If I'm in a foreign country and don't speak the language, there are still many ways I can communicate with the locals. For instance, if I'm thirsty, all I have to do is find a local and initiate an exchange. And when I say exchange, I'm referring to an exchange of information, using whatever means are necessary to convey my desire. In this case, because I'm thirsty, I'd begin by politely pointing or gesturing to the person I'm communicating with so that the person knows I'm asking them a question. After that, I'd make the fairly universal gesture of bringing an imaginary bottle of water to my lips and then following it up with a shrug of the shoulders to indicate that I don't know where to find water. I'd also use appropriate facial gestures to imply that I don't know where to find what I'm looking for. And in my experience, this type of communication has always helped me find restaurants, get directions to bus stops, find the airport, find a place to sleep, and obtain all other kinds of information that I require in a foreign country. And for the most part, I can honestly say that people are nearly always kind to me and nearly always figure out what I'm asking for and are only too happy to help. So in this case, the person understands what I'm asking for, points in the appropriate direction, and perhaps walks me 100 meters down a hill and then points out a water fountain that's located at the bottom of that hill. Now, let's imagine that I've just gone through the same routine of gesturing my desire to find water, but only this time the person I'm communicating with understands what I'm looking for, looks me right in the eye, and tells me in a language that I don't understand that... L'eau que vous cherchez est située à la fontaine au pied de cette colline. What? <laughs> if you speak French, you understood that. But if you don't, forget it. In much the same way that I understood the pointing and was able to follow the kind person to the water fountain, we can appreciate foreign music in a similar manner. Although foreign languages are sometimes impossible to decipher, music can be much more accessible. For instance, there are elements of music that seem to be quite universal around the world. Music, for the most part, has patterned rhythm. Music, for the most part, has dynamics, which are the variation in loudness between notes or phrases. Live music, for the most part, is the expression and interpretation of emotion through the language of music. So to get back to my original question of what happens when we listen to foreign music, and whether or not it has the ability to move us to the extent that our own cultural music does, I'd say that it can, and it often does. 
I'd also be quick to qualify that statement by saying that the listener must approach the experience with an open mind. Because if you're so ignorant that you think you're getting an answer to your water question in English, then my guess is that you're also going to expect that foreign music sounds similar to your tastes in music. However, since you're not ignorant and you're approaching the musical experience with openness, you're likely to begin to feel the emotion that accompanies the new experience. Let me give you a concrete example. I remember a time when I traveled throughout Australia. I did so with a couple of buddies, and we had a blast. Closer to the end of my trip, my friends went back to Canada, and I stayed on a little while longer by myself. My journey took me to the Northern Territory and ultimately to Uluru, also known as Ayers Rock. Whilst there, I had a chance to enjoy an evening performance of music and dance by Australian Aborigines. I vividly remember the rhythm of the didgeridoo. It's bottom end. It's unending wall of sound that was accompanied by the high timber of clicking sticks and the throat-projected chant of the singer. It was a brisk evening in the desert, and I had a blanket wrapped around me as I took in the music and the stars of the Southern Hemisphere. Because I was open to the experience, the music totally spoke to me. And although it was completely foreign to me and didn't resemble anything I knew in pop culture, I could feel the emotion. The dance coexisted with the music, and it served to explain what I was hearing and what I was seeing. When Stravinsky talks about music serving as a communion with the Supreme Being, there is no question that at that moment, I was connected to something greater than myself. And you'll often hear musicians talk about their connection to something spiritual or even godlike when they're creating or performing music. In a really interesting article I came across on the Opus Dei website, I stumbled upon an interview of a musician named Daniel that had this to say about music and spirituality. He said, Many artists are able to contemplate spiritual realities because they have a well-developed sensitivity for what is invisible. They are accustomed to seeking, to striving for invisible and hidden truths. I find that so relatable and so utterly profound. It really serves the argument that music is profound in ways that defy scientific explanation. Before I wrap this episode up, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention a few of the many ways that music serves to heal, to guide, and to color our lives. For example, music therapy is a field that's seen enormous growth and widespread acceptance over the past years. The online Harvard Health blog credits music therapy with the ability to reduce anxiety in patients having colonoscopies, cardiac angiography, and knee surgery if they listen to music before their procedures. They also point out that musical therapy has been evidenced to restore lost speech amongst people recovering from stroke or traumatic brain injuries. Additionally, they claim a reduction of side effects from cancer therapy, pain relief amongst AIDS patients, and an improved quality of life for dementia patients. But one of the things from another source that really caught my attention is the mounting evidence that music therapy can make a significantly positive impact in supporting cognitive development, social, and verbal skills amongst autistic children. I found this information on Nurse Journal. What we're discovering these days is that music has a way of activating both hemispheres of the brain. 
In autistic children, this allows the therapist to nurture cognitive ability and self-awareness with the intent of improving relationships with others. Music encourages communication and cooperation amongst participants, which results in an enhanced ability to make better social connections, something that's very challenging for many children with autism. As you can plainly see, music has power. Music is a form of energy. Music can change the world. Now I'm going to include a few links on my website, www.almostenlightened.life, that'll direct you to organizations that are using music to make the world a better place. Examples include Musicians on Call, an organization dedicated to connecting musicians with hospital patients. Another one is Our Music, My Body, an organization that creates fun and consensual musical experiences in collaboration with an organization called Resilience, and another one called Between Friends, to raise awareness about sexual harassment in the music scene. And then there's also Songwriting with Soldiers, another awesome organization that helps veterans tell their stories, let go of their pain, and move forward. I'll include a few other links on the website as well. All are definitely worth checking out and definitely worth supporting. Oh, and there's one more thing I forgot to tell you about. At the beginning of this episode, I mentioned two favorite concerts. One of them was that beauty at the top of Whistler Mountain. And the other one is so personal that I can't share the details with you. It was a moment that my wife and I shared that changed the rest of our lives. And for those of you who are listening and who are Canadian, I'll say two words that won't tip you off as to what happened at the concert, but will certainly tip you off as to who we saw. Those two words are the hip. Well, thanks for listening today. I appreciate you.